Hi, I'm Charles Feldman. And my name is Ela Edgar, and we're here for another episode of Trust on Purpose. Today, we're going to talk about something that we've noticed that can happen in teams, not just where a leader is having this issue on the team, but sometimes peers on a team can have the same issue related to trust. And I'll just jump in and talk a little bit about a specific team that I've worked with in the past, where the leader of the team, pretty high-level person himself, reported into someone in the C-suite, I don't remember at this point in time, some CXO person. And he was doing a really good job of managing that relationship, or at least he thought he was. And he was ignoring his team. And I'll give you the specifics of how he was ignoring his team by saying that this team of, well, I think there were nine people that reported to him directly and about four or five of those had teams of their own. But two people on his team were in a protracted conflict. It had been going on for months. This was wreaking havoc with the people on his team. They were really tired of it. Sometimes one or the other of these people would try and get them on their side in this conflict, or it had happened. Most of the people at that point had made it really clear that they didn't want to do that. But early on in the conflict, there was a little bit of that. But here's what the leader was saying, both when one of these two people went to him to say, can you help, or anyone else on the team, because several other people on the team at one point or another did go to ask him for, can you just help work this through? And his response was, they're adults. They should be able to work this out themselves. And I've told them that, and I'm telling you that. In this case, what was going on was that he was losing trust of the people on his team. They were losing trust in his care. They did not feel that he was taking care of them as he should have been. Part of that had to do with he wasn't stepping in and doing something about this protracted conflict. And part of it was that he seemed to be doing quite well masking that conflict and its results, impacts, with his boss and with the people higher up. So he was seemingly managing higher up pretty well, but failing to manage or to build trust by managing aspects of what was going on in his own team. So that's what we want to talk about today is how that can happen and how a leader can get out of that, how a coach can spot that and help if they're coaching that leader, recognize it themselves and get out of it. So what comes up for you, Hila, as I, as I describe that, which is not a pleasant situation for anybody? Mm -mm. I'm still back on your adults and you should be able to figure that out. When you said that, and you and I are not even in the situation, but the visceral reaction that I felt when you said that out loud I can only imagine having a peer or my leader say that to me, it would send me, oh my gosh, I would be so livid, feel so disrespected, so uncared for. And if that happened on more than one occasion, I don't know that I'd stick around to be able to figure it out. That was my initial reaction. Hmm. So for you, the trust was broken right there. Right there. What was it about that statement? If you had been on this person's team 
And you'd heard that from him. What was it about the statement that would hook you and that would trigger you? That's a great question. Hang on, I have to think about that. So a couple of things come to mind right away. A, if I've come to you and I'm asking for help and you're saying you should know how to do it, well, obviously I'm struggling and I'm asking for help. So maybe I don't know how or what I've tried hasn't worked. And so as a leader to disregard or dismiss me as another human being asking for help and not even asking, so help me understand what you've tried so far. So there's one piece. And just as I'm listening to you say that, for me, I know part of that would be that I've made myself vulnerable, especially if I was one of the people in this conflict. Yeah. I've made myself vulnerable by asking for help. I've essentially said, I'm not capable of doing this. I need help. And as a team member of these two people who, some of whom had apparently tried to help the two at some point or another try and work it out and said, we don't know how to do this. So they're also asking for his help. Mm -hmm. I don't know what help they were expecting, but I think they were expecting something. Something. Besides just, no, they're adults. They should be able to figure it out. Don't bother me with this. Right. Yes. And it's that, I think you've just nailed it right there. Like, don't bother me with this but I'm bringing you something that's important to me. I mean, you and I know each other very well. Relationships matter, I think, to both of us, especially in a team, a work environment, like I'm committed to our success. And so now I'm having trouble navigating something. I'm coming to you. I'm not bitching or moaning or whining or complaining. I'm coming to you because something important to me, something I care about is amiss. And you can't even take a moment to say, I totally get it, or I see what's going on. I don't know what to do either. Any kind of reaction other than basically, screw off, I don't have time for you. And ironically, as things unfolded, that was the leader's issue in this situation that I'm talking about. He himself didn't think he could handle it. He didn't know how to do it, but he was unwilling to ask for help. So he was trying to uphold the trust of his boss and his boss's peers by not going to HR, by not going directly to his boss and saying, I need some help with a situation here. I don't know how to handle this, but rather pretending, even though he didn't know how, pretending that he did. And it wasn't necessarily even completely conscious to him. I don't think that that was what was going on for him, mm -hmm. but that was in fact what was going on. And he eventually came to it. But for a while, he was not making himself vulnerable. And he was saying to, as you pointed out so beautifully, when people came to him, making themselves vulnerable, asking for help, he was disregarding their request. And again, the loss of trust was, I think, in the area of care, for sure, that his team did not believe that he could be trusted in that domain, that he had their interests in mind at all, at least not with regard to this situation. But it was a pretty big situation by the time they were starting to ask for help. Well, what they wouldn't have known, but I'm wondering if it also impacted the trust breakdown, was that he didn't have the competence. Whether he declared that, knew it, intentional, not intentional. But do you think that there's a piece of this situation that the team knew it was not 
only tied to the domain of care. Do you think they had an inkling or a whiff that maybe there was, I don't know how to handle this? Well, the answer to your first question is some of them were beginning to have that assessment that he's not competent, but he's got a story going that in his own mind, he doesn't need to be competent in this. He just needs to tell them that they need to figure it out. They need to be adults and grow up and figure it out. Part of that story was well reinforced by his previous role in another company. The people on his team all seemed to figure stuff like that out for themselves. At least that was his explanation. They were all adults. They could figure it out. Why can't these people? Wow. Wow. So I'm, I'm sitting in this question. We can't know everything about everything. Even as coaches, you and I have a pretty robust toolbox and lots of things that we can do to navigate relationships, situations, trust building, trust repair. And yet you and I still bump into situations that we're not sure how to navigate. And so what keeps a leader from saying, I've never been here before in this exact situation, and I'm not sure how to navigate it. Rather, they choose to go, you guys are adults, deal with it, or to just not help or not raise your hand or not go to HR or not go to their leader to say, I am navigating a situation. What gets in the way? Well, I think our Bray Brown would certainly have something to say about this. I think that it's to a large degree, both shame and fear. Fear of someone, their leader, their boss, assessing them in a way that they don't want to be assessed. I don't want to be assessed as not competent. I don't want to be assessed as unable to handle a situation because if someone assesses me that way, that's shameful to me. So I don't want to be vulnerable and open myself up to that. So I think that might be one of the things that I believe that was what was going on for this particular individual. And I've seen it in other situations, similar situations as well, where someone doesn't ask for help because asking for help is... Sign of weakness. Yeah. No, don't. You can't do that. Buck it up. You can do this. There's all sorts of messages, probably from our little itty bitty committee again. Also, what life and our experiences, our lived experiences, have taught us to do or not to do. Yes. Because of what's happened when we did it. Yeah. I mean, we learn all that stuff, I think. A lot of that stuff. Those habitual ways of thinking and acting and feeling, we learn or begin to learn in any way quite young. And one of those is self-reliance. And that's a big thing. And I know in the North American culture... Self-reliance is like, hey, that's the, that's the ticket to nirvana for self-reliant. We're like on top of the world. And in fact, not only am I self-reliant, but everyone else can rely on me. Look, at, like, oh, I just had this, the conversation before the conversation, I shared a similar story about peers and that one of the peers managed up really well and basically ignored, so similar, ignored, dismissed, went radio silent with her peers. And it's interesting what I know about this particular situation is that she got a pretty big payback for look at what I can do. 
look at how great I am at X. Look at how well I managed Y. And so the payoff for her was pretty big. And so why would she change her behavior? Why would she? Unless you're pausing to reflect on how that behavior is impacting people that you care about. I think that's the issue right there, isn't it? Yeah. They don't really care. Or they don't care enough. They don't care enough. Now, I may be selling some people short. Yeah. I think perhaps this leader that I was talking to and, and a few others that I have run across who have you know, similar situations actually did care. They just didn't realize, like you just said, that there was a big impact, negative impact on these people that they cared about, on the team that they cared about, on the results that they cared about. They didn't see the connection. They had not been able to draw a line between their behavior and some of the other impacts around them, not the least of which was this team was struggling to keep its commitments to their internal customers within the organization, struggling just to work together and collaborate. In fact, that's why I was originally asked to do something with this group, was they were having trouble collaborating. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) And so he's off on his own high horse, charging away at whatever it was that he was doing and not supporting them. But I don't think he really understood the consequence, the impact that it was having. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is a lack of care. I'm all about me. I'm about me looking good Mm -hmm. to my boss. I'm all about me looking good to the customer or whoever it is that I want to look good to, and I don't care about you guys. And look at all the accolades I get. Yeah. And in this particular one that I just mentioned, I think there's another missing piece. And this ties back to something that you said earlier about as coaches, if we're coaching someone like this, what can we do? So one, I think the habit and the discipline of regular self-reflection can help build awareness. But here's where the tricky is, is that if they don't see the impact to others, they haven't built the self-awareness or paused to think about how are my behaviors impacting others, they're likely not going to bring that forward to their coach because they don't see it as a breakdown. Yeah. So that's one of those places where having some data, yeah. either by a 360, a good quality 360, or being able to do a sort of verbal interview 360 is very valuable in coaching. Mm-hmm. Because it shows them right there. It holds the mirror right up in front of their face. And usually, most people, mature, reasonably mature people, can look at it and go, oh, okay, I did not realize this. I did not understand this. Every once in a while, you come across a person who says, oh, well, this is a bunch of garbage. I don't want to look at this at all. Yeah. Or do you remember the episode we did where the person actually disagreed and argued about the data in the 360? (laughs) Yeah. No, this isn't true. No, it's not true. Well, actually it is. (laughs) This is the data. I don't know, you know. But yeah, whether you're a coach working with a leader who seems to have a big blind spot around something like this, or you're a leader and you want to even check out what your blind spots might be, doing something like a 360 can be really valuable. Or even just your own. You know, do your own. It is a little difficult for a leader to go around asking people 
especially direct reports, how do you see me, what's going on, what's working and what's not working, mm -hmm. they have to be really conscientious about doing it, not just once, but on a regular basis, because the first three or four times they're going to get bullshit. Yeah. Especially, let's just pinpoint here, really important to have built trust and psychological safety before you do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or you're absolutely going to get bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, if you get someone just saying stuff that is not real and you know, you can tell. I mean, anybody mm -hmm. can tell that. Any moderately self-aware person can tell when their direct report is kind of just saying stuff to make you feel good. So asking a few times, but also having taken the time to build trust in the domain of care, in the domain of sincerity, particularly those two domains, so that the direct reports do trust them, which sometimes even in itself is a long process, yeah. but well worth the investment in time and energy and all the stuff that needs to happen when we do that and really listen to people. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately in this case of this particular individual, I don't know whether he got there or not. That said, I've worked with other individuals, and I know you have too, who do get there through a process of coaching and taking a look, whether it's through some kind of a 360 or even just going and talking to people, and honestly seeking input and feedback. <laughs> I think it's also a really great opportunity to consider observational coaching, to see the leader interact and again, that requires yeah. enormous trust and psychological safety, but can be so impactful and rewarding for everyone. You can't bring forward a blind spot if you can't see it. Right. That's true. Very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. It reminds me again and again, this conversation and most conversations we have, the power of taking pause and reflecting. And we can't do it with every single situation, right? Every single minute of every single day, every single interaction. But do we have the ability to start building a reflection practice of some sort? Five minutes in the day. What do I notice about how I showed up today? What might I want to do tomorrow to take care of how I showed up today? Should there be a bump, a glitch, or a dumpster fire? Is there something that I can do tomorrow to show care in that relationship? Is there something I want to do differently tomorrow to be more of who I want to be as an authentic leader? And I think that's the one important piece of that. Well, there's the whole self-trust issue. I mean, basically, we're talking now about self-trust because do we trust ourselves to be honest with ourselves? And also having something you're shooting at, mm -hmm. having a way of being in the world that you're, you're aiming for as you do self-reflection. Self-reflection really benefits from that. Mm -hmm. So I am aiming to, as I've said in other situations, I'm aiming to take in every interaction, take care of the task you and I are trying to do together. And equally important, I'm trying to ensure that the relationship is furthered, that I build and maintain trust between us by my actions. And now, of course, I have a framework for building and maintaining trust so I can look at my actions and say, did I do that? Did I do that well? Did I do it poorly? Did I, to use Brene 
Brown's marble jar mm-hmm. analogy where, you know, every little things, all those little things that we do, did I just knock the marble jar over? <laughs> did my marble miss the jar? What happened? But knowing what it is that I'm aiming to do differently really makes it self-reflection, I think, more impactful, especially when we start out doing that as a practice. I'm laughing right now because you just gave me something I hadn't thought of before. We've talked about Brene's marble jar analogy before. And yeah, you know, these little behaviors, these little, these small moments build up marbles in the jar. You know, the visual of an empty jar on my desk and the marbles are all over the floor because we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. Yeah. Unintentionally, we think that we're doing it, but we're missing the mark. That is a brilliant analogy because I think a lot of times that happens. I mm-hmm. know that happens for me. And it isn't until somebody says something that I realize I've missed the mark. Yeah. Or it doesn't even necessarily need to say something, but I'm noticing in their behavior towards me that something's off. And so then I want to have a conversation with them about that. And I've had to have a couple of those kind of conversations recently where I was beginning to suspect I was missing the mark. And indeed, in one case, I definitely missed the mark. My marble fell onto the desk and rolled off onto the floor. And later on, I stepped on it and it really hurt (laughs) because I was barefoot. Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, that is actually a really accurate metaphor for what can happen sometimes Mm -hmm. is that we think we're putting marbles in the jar. In fact, unless we're careful, we're conscious and we're aware of what we're doing. Yeah. We miss it. Yeah. Well, so I want to wrap this conversation up for today. Wrap it up by saying that in the story that we worked with, the situation we worked with, we talked about a leader who was afraid to make himself vulnerable to his superiors and acknowledge that he didn't know how to handle a situation on his team. So rather than doing that, rather than asking for help, he just pushed it back onto them and told them that they needed to, in effect, grow up because apparently they weren't grown up in his definition. He would tell them they're adults, they can fix it. And if they can't fix it, the implication is they're not adults. Mm -hmm. Or they're less than, or maybe not smart enough. Yeah, not really smart adults or whatever. And it was, the impact was really damaging to his team's trust in him his teams trust in each other to some degree. And so the shift for him and for people like him can only come if he's taking the time to and energy and focus to do some self-reflection. He was not aware of the impact on the one hand, and he wasn't aware of the actions that he was taking that were leading to the impact that it was having. He was just doing himself. Mm-hmm. And in this case, himself was not doing him any favors. Mm -hmm. And my sense also is that after maybe multiple tries in a number of different smaller ways, his team had tried to reach out to say, I need help over the protracted conflict. Plus also they maybe didn't have the words to say, this is the impact. And so perhaps the message was never received in the way that they needed him to hear it. Well, in fact, actually, it was during a trust workshop that I did with the team. Mm. But unfortunately, there was not a 
way to continue that work with him or with the team. It was a one-time deal. So it came up and I think he heard it. There was conversation, sufficient conversation around it, but I don't know if it stuck, if any lasting change happened, any change in behavior on his part, any change in conditions and behavior on their part. That said, and that's why actually I don't do one-off workshops where no. there's no follow-up anymore. No. no, Because they're a waste of time on my part and money and time on the client's part. Yeah. And I know you're in the same. I'm in the same. We've covered a lot again today. I'm in a reflective state right now where this conversation is causing me pause. But I appreciate that reminder. Even though you and I do this work every single day, it's great to hear these reminders about how reflecting and pausing on how our behaviors and our actions impact others. And is that, is that what we're intending? Or have we missed the mark? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. On behalf of both Charles and myself, we want to say a big thank you to our producer and sound editor, Chad Penner. Hillary Rideout of Inside Out Branding, who does our promotion, our amazing graphics, and marketing for us. And our theme music was composed by Jonas Smith. If you have any questions or comments for us about the podcast, if you have a trust-related situation that you'd like us to take up in one of our episodes, we'd love to hear from you at trust at trustonpurpose.org. And we'd also like to thank you, our listeners. Take care and keep building trust on purpose. Until next time. Until next time.